0: Hi there. This is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at eight thirty and eleven o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. Well, good morning to the First Baptist Tulsa family. Obviously, I'm not with you in person this morning. But I am so passionate about what we're looking at through the Apostles' Creed that I I just couldn't hand off uh, the ball to anyone else. I wanted to continue to talk through what we believe together. Before we start the message, though, let me have you notice two things. If you're a guest, please pay attention to the back of our announcement sheet this morning. Everything you need to know for your first visit is right here, including the welcome room, which will take place right after this worship gathering, and the pastor's coffee, which is next week, October 22nd, you can even scan the QR code and sign up and I'd invite you to join me for that coffee next week if you're looking at making next steps in this church. Uh, For those of you who have been here for a while, please remember your 4x4 card. Let's pray for friends and neighbors and coworkers and family members who don't know Christ and pray that God would send somebody to them, whether it's you or another person, to be instrumental in introducing uh, them to him to God. Okay, so let's jump in. Jesus loved to tell stories. In fact, one theologian calls Jesus' parables verbal time bombs, that these, these ideas, these stories would implant themselves in somebody's mind and at the moment that they would least expect it, they explode. But instead of causing destruction, they result in transformation these verbal time bombs. And let me give you an example of of the way this can work. And I've told you many times about going to New York City, walking into St. Patrick's Cathedral, going behind the high altar, and there's a statue of the boy Jesus, eight or nine years old, holding the world in one cupped hand. But if the doors of St. Patrick's are open with that same line of sight, you can see the statue of Atlas out on the street on Fifth Avenue and he is holding the world under his shoulders and here is the world's strongest man barely able to stand up under the strain. That one line of sight image is a parable about two ways to manage your world. You can try to carry it all yourself and it will be more than what you can handle. Or you can give your whole world to Jesus and he can handle it with ease. I've told that story so many times over the years. Some of you remember it, you call it to mind, but maybe it will make sense that moment that you feel the weight of the world on your shoulder and some of you do right now, it will detonate and you'll realize that you don't have to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. So Jesus loved to tell stories, especially around big issues that are hard to comprehend. So as we walk through the Apostles' Creed, uh, Jesus descended, he died, he ascended back to the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And then the last two lines of the Jesus section, the Jesus paragraph of the Creed, it says this, from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Jesus will return and he will return as judge of all creation, of all humanity. So when we talk about the return of Jesus, we often want timelines, right? We wanna know what's gonna happen and when. Jesus during his ministry did not give us a play by play. Now there are other places in scripture that we can go to and we can try to understand just a glimpse of what's gonna happen in the future. But Jesus did not give us a play by play He said, here's how this is going to play out, and he did it through story. In fact, many of his parables talk about the end times. Again, not a timeline, but here's the truth of my return, and not only what will happen in the future, but what difference that makes today. So the parable I've chosen for this morning to talk about the return and the judgment of Jesus is in Matthew chapter 13, you can turn there if you want to. And in fact, right in the middle of Matthew 13, it says Jesus spoke in parables. He did not say anything to them without using stories. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophet that I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden from the creation of the world. Jesus' story tells us something about creation and salvation. These stories, these verbal time bombs, Tell us about the world as it is and the people of God as we should be. So, Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the weeds. And I'm gonna begin reading in verse 24. Hope I said it right a minute ago. Matthew 13, starting in verse 24. Here's the story and allow me just to walk through this bit by bit. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like, let me pause here for just a moment, because whenever we come on that phrase, kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, I think it's important to define that, what we're talking about. My strict definition is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is God's rule in the human heart. But another way of describing it might be to say this, that the kingdom of heaven, this is what it's like when God is at work. This is what it's like. When God is at work, even when, and especially when, it looks like He's not. When it looks like that God is not doing anything, He really is, okay? This is what it looks like when God's at work. So the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in a field. Remember all the way back to Genesis when God created humanity, what did He do? He planted a garden. And here we have, not so much a garden, but we have a field. Right away, we get this sense that God, what Jesus is talking about here, is all of God's creation. So there's this field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. What happened? As soon as God created a garden, there was a serpent in the garden. Now in this field, which represents, here's creation, there's an enemy that comes to play. Verse 26, when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the weeds also appeared. Now Jesus is talking to people living in a very agrarian culture. They would know exactly what He's talking about. There's a particular weed called the Darnell. And growing up, before the grain ripened and the head appeared, it would look exactly like the wheat. They were almost, unless you had a very sharp and trained eye, they were almost indistinguishable. And only when the wheat had sprouted could you really tell for sure, then the difference became pronounced. So Jesus was telling this story, and you know what, isn't that true, that sometimes it's hard to tell, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's hard to tell who's good, who's bad, who's pure, who's evil. Something fun you can watch later on, uh, Brevard County, Florida, the Sheriff Office. They do a little TV show every week, a little Facebook post every week, called the Wheel of Fugitives. It's it really is funny to watch. He, he has this big spinning wheel up on the stage with him, and they chant Wheel of Fugitives, and he spins it around, and whoever it lands on, that's who they highlight for the night. And the sheriff kind of has fun with this. He goes, "Hey, I checked just before we went on the air, and we got room for all these people." He spins the wheel. When it lands on one, he highlights that fugitive, and then he says something like this. He goes, you've messed up your life. Let's get this straight. Let's get this behind you. You come on in. Get a bail bondsman. You come on in. We'll settle this. But if you don't come to us, we'll come to you, we're going to find you. And he gives them a chance to set their life right. But what I love about that is the wheel of fugitive, there's no doubt who the bad person is. There's their picture. You have what they're guilty of. The world isn't always that simple. Sometimes, like the wheat and the darnel, it's hard to distinguish who's good, who's bad, who's pure, who's evil. This is just the world that we live in. But the weeds also appeared. Verse 27, the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, little side note here, if you're a leader, you need to get used to a phrase. It's, we've got a problem. (laughs) As a leader, Somebody walks into your office, it happens a lot. Hey, we've got a problem. So these workers approached the owner, said, sir, we got a problem. Didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did these weeds come from? He knows immediately. An enemy did this, he replied. Servants ask him, what do you want us to do? You want to go and pull all the, the, wheat, the weeds up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat as well. In other words, if you try to get rid of all the evil, you're probably gonna do more damage than you will good. And then here's the verse I want you to pay attention to, verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. That one sentence, I want you to break it down into two parts. Let both grow together. This parable deals with the fact that there is evil in the world right now. Jesus is telling us a story, it's a verbal time bomb, that once we understand this, that yes, no matter what we do, evil does exist right here, right now. And then the owner says, but let both grow together until the harvest. So not only does this parable deal with the reality of evil, it also deals with the eventuality, that there will be judgment. There will be justice at the right time, at the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, collect the weeds, put them in bundles, burn them, gather the wheat, and bring them into my barn. So the disciples hear this story. It's a verbal time bomb, but it seems to be a dud because they don't quite know what to make of this quite yet. They they hear this story. In fact, if you skip down to verse 36, they kind of pull Jesus aside when he's away from the public, and he goes uh, and they go, w- "Would you explain this to us? Something is lost in translation. Uh, years ago, KFC was the first Western restaurant to move into China, and when they moved in, they took with them their famous slogan, you know, "KFC: finger-lickin good." but somebody as they translated it into Chinese, it didn't quite make translation appropriately and their slogan, this is why their business got off to a rocky start. KFC, eat your fingers off, was the literal translation of that. Something was lost in translation. So as Jesus tells this story, it's not quite translating. The disciples don't quite understand it which is good because then Jesus does explain and he helps us understand even a little bit more about the reality of evil now and the eventuality of his return and his judgment. Okay. So he explains the story. Skip down to verse 37 of Matthew 13. And he gives seven characteristics of this parable. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. Jesus is saying, I, I created the field. I planted it, okay, so uh, that's me. The field is the world. Just as the garden was the first creation, this field represents all of creation. The good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. Hopefully that's you and me, followers of Jesus, those who let God rule in our hearts. The weeds are the people of the evil one. There are bad people in the world. Don't be surprised when you discover that for yourself. And the enemy who sows is the devil. Evil in the world is not only pervasive, it's personal. There, there's a real person called the devil and by the way he is the opposite of Jesus but he is in no way Jesus is equal. Okay, please don't. That's Star Wars theology. Biblical theology is there is a Satan but he nowhere even close can he match the power of Jesus. The harvesters, uh, the harvest is the end of the age, judgment, and the harvesters are the angels. So I don't think it's an accident here that Jesus gives seven characteristics of this parable to help us understand because seven is a creation number. God created the heavens and the earth and He rested all within seven days. So here is a picture about the whole world in which we live. Here is a picture about all of creation to understand the reality of evil and the eventuality of judgment. And so here's how Jesus applies this, verse 40. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man, now see that Jesus is not only the creator, he is also the judge. The son of man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace and they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth Then, then and only then, the righteous will shine like the sun and the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So let's apply this. Jesus' parable is about the reality of evil, the reality that judgment will take place This is not only about the judgment and the future, this is also about how we live right here, right now. What is Jesus teaching? And I pretty much just boiled this down to a handful of things. First of all, trust Jesus enough to endure. There is evil in the world. And so we trust him enough to endure between the present moment and the moment of justice. Knowing that, well, the evil in the world is actually instrumental in helping us become more like Jesus Christ. He dealt with evil as well. And in his dealing with evil, he was still obedient to God. We need that same resistance in order to obey God, not only when it's convenient, but when it's not, not only when it's easy, but when it's difficult. The evil in the world can develop our Christ-likeness. And also, the evil in the world gives us an opportunity to serve if we see something missing. Between now and the judgment, we should act in justice. Uh, So Lena Paulson, 1995, she was working in her kitchen, she was making cookies, she looked down and her wedding ring was gone. This was a ring that she designed herself, seven small diamonds, it was her prized possession. Somewhere in her cooking, the ring had slipped off and and she couldn't find it. In fact, a few weeks later, they were getting ready to renovate the kitchen, they pulled up all the floorboards, ripped out the cabinet, she was for sure they were going to find the ring. Never did. Now, flash forward, that was 1995. Flash forward to 2011, she's out working in her garden, pulls up a carrot, and guess what? Right at the top of the carrot, perfectly sized, is that ring, her wedding ring around this carrot. Her best guess is that while she was working, cooking uh, these, baking these cookies, her ring slipped off off and fell into uh, a pile of scraps. Those scraps were then fed to her pet sheep. The sheep, we'll say, deposited that ring in the compost pile. The compost pile was then used in the garden and a carrot grew right up in the middle of it. Boy, that's a neat trick. And the lost was found. Listen, life is messy. And sometimes we feel like it's a scrap heap. Sometimes we feel like we're headed toward the compost pile, but God knows exactly where you are. He has never lost sight of you and at the end, you will be in His care again. It's a little messy between now and then, but we endure knowing He has us and He will restore us fully one day. This is for those of you who are about to give up today. Don't. Trust Him enough to endure. Second, application of this is trust him enough to address evil in his time. Okay, so, so we should persevere. We should endure. Is there evil in the world? Yes. Is God still good? Yes. We also trust him enough that he will deal with evil in his time. So does this mean that we sit back and we see evil in the world? Does this mean we sit back and we go, oh, you know, Jesus will deal with it in his time. I don't have to do anything. No, no, no. So as Christians, we should know where we stand. When it comes to evil in the world, we should know where we stand. As Christians, we should also know that we are called to serve. In the imperfectness of this moment, we should be serving somewhere. So the fact that Jesus will deal with evil eventually doesn't mean that we do nothing. We stand, we serve, but we realize, it doesn't change what we do, but it changes how we view what we do. Life's never going to be perfect. And you and I are not going to make it so. In fact, if we could force our agendas and make the world bend to our will and make everything, everything right and make everyone think the way we do, Jesus makes it clear we would do more damage than we would do good. We would trample on a lot of wheat And when we pulled up the weeds that that the roots are so entangled, we would actually do more damage than good. So it doesn't change what we do. It changes what we think about what we do. We stand, we serve, but ultimately we can only do so much until God restores all things. So what do we do? We trust God enough to endure. We also trust Him that Jesus will deal with evil in His time. Here's the last application. And you've heard me say this before, but it, it fits so neatly right here that in the worst of times, we are called to be the best of people. There will be a day that the righteous will shine like the sun, but in the meantime, we are also called to be the light of the world as followers of Jesus. And in the worst of times, while we're enduring, while we're trusting that Jesus is going to address evil at the appropriate time, in the worst of times... We are called to be the best of people. In fact, I want you to leave Matthew 13, and I want you to flip back into the Older Testament with me to Psalm 37. If ever there were a psalm or a passage of Scripture that says, in the worst of times, here how, here's how you can be the best of people, it's, it's Psalm 37. Do not fret of those who are evil. Okay, so don't worry. There's evil in the world. Don't worry. Or be envious of those who do wrong. Not only are we not to worry, but we are not to be jealous. We are not to admire those who do evil. For, like the grass, they will soon wither. Like the green plants, like weeds, they'll soon die away. And then in Psalm 37, verses 3 and 4, here's how we become, in the worst of times, the best of people trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. The idea here is that we don't have to control everything that happens in the world. That's God's job. So stand, serve. You're not going to be able to control everything. So instead of trying to control everything and everybody, trust. Trust in the Lord. And do good. Don't give up. We see so much evil and we go, well, what can I contribute and what good does it do? And we kind of throw up our hands. No, no, no. Trust God, you can't control things, but you can turn it over to his control. Do good, don't give up, and then take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If we focus too much on the evil in the world, we'll be distracted, we'll be disillusioned, we'll be disturbed, we'll be discouraged. We are called to focus on God, delight in him, and be delighted. So I started this message today with a verbal time bomb, that picture in New York City. Now I want to take you back to New York City and give you another verbal time bomb, another parable. And this is one that I've told many times before. And by the way, how do you think the gospel writers remembered Jesus' stories? Because he told them over and over and over again. So here's one that I tell quite a bit. I try to just tell it once a year. A Native American is walking through New York City with his friend, his city friend. And as they're walking down the street, a lot of traffic, a lot of noise buzzing around, and the Native American said, I hear a cricket. His city friend doesn't believe him. He said, you can't hear a cricket over all this traffic noise and over all the hustle and bustle of people. He said, I hear a cricket. They go down to the corner, they cross the street, and they're in a planter in front of a business. He moves aside some leaves and pulls a cricket. The city dweller can't believe it. He goes, how, how in the world did you hear that? He goes, my ears are no different than you. It all depends on what you've trained yourself to listen for. Listen. You can be distracted by all the noise, or you can hear the voice of the Creator. And our judge, Jesus, who says at the end of his parable, whoever has ears, let them hear. There is evil We endure. There is judgment and justice coming. We trust that to God to do it in the right way at the right time. And between now and then, we trust God, we do good, we delight ourselves in Him. So I'm gonna pray here in just a moment and then we're gonna have a song of response. After our song of response, Marissa Carter, our pastoral care director, is gonna come up on the platform And invite you to the welcome room. If you've heard God speak today, listen very carefully to what Marissa says. Accept her invitation. And let's listen to what God wants to do in your life next under the leadership and lordship of Jesus. Pray with me. God, today uh, I pray along with Psalm 37 that we do see evil. We, We sometimes are tempted to envy those who do wrong and seem to get away with it all. But we are called to be people who endure and people who trust you that you will judge in the right way at the right time. So we can take that off of our plate. Help us to put into our responsibility what we can do. We trust in you, we do good, and we delight ourselves in you, believing that ultimately you will give us the desires of our heart, which ultimately is you. Jesus, thank you for your explosive reality as it transforms the way we look at the world, the way we treat people, and the way we love you. It is in your name that we offer our prayer. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace both now and forever, amen.